Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. It is holy, and you gave it to us for a very specific purpose, that we would know you, we would know your plan of salvation, we would understand what you want us to understand, and we would be able to live it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, as we celebrate the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, the arrival, we pray, God, right now, that you would encourage our hearts, you would touch us in such a way, Lord, where we would just honor you with all of our decisions, our coming and our going, what we say and do. We thank you for this gathering. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. My uh, title is The Arrival That Brings Revival. Every December, the church historically, not always the Pentecostal church, let me go ahead and uh, clarify that, not talking about Northwest, but historically, the church celebrates the Advent season. If you're not aware of what the word Advent means, the word Advent means coming, and many actually would say it means arrival, and they are one and the same. And so we're celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we're expecting his second coming as well. That is the tension of Advent and going beyond just the beauty of it. It's not just a nostalgic looking back, although it is that, and we celebrate that. Sometimes we get traditions in the way. Tradition is not a bad thing. But sometimes the tradition gets in the way of the actual substance of what Advent is all about. And so we're always reaching into the truth of God's word and wanting to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. And also we expect his coming again. And I want to share some traditional and potentially not so traditional thoughts that we find here in the story of Jesus' birth. But I want to just remind you that as we've read the Matthew account, there is another account. The one that typically gets read is from Luke. And so I just want to summarize what we've missed by reading the Matthew account. But I, I specifically have to read to you tonight, verse 1 through 17. In the book of Luke, we read through chapter 1 and 2 and partially chapter 3, the birth of John the Baptist is foretold. His parents, Elizabeth and Zacharias, are promised a son, and this son would be the forerunner of the Messiah, and he would minister in the power of Elijah, which is a promise from the Old Testament. We also read in the book of Luke, the birth of Christ is foretold as well. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she is going to bear a son, even though she is a virgin. And this son would be the son of God and not just her son, her son naturally, but the son of our heavenly father. And he is the long-awaited Messiah, isn't he? And the angel tells Mary this, and she says, as a young teenager, be it unto me according to your word. Great faith Mary had. We'll talk about that tonight. The birth of John the Baptist is also something we read about in the book of Luke. John the Baptist is born, and his father ends up breaking his silence by naming his son John, of which he has no relatives named John. That's mentioned in the book of Luke. And he prophesies over his son, John. And he says, you will be the forerunner of the Messiah. Little did he know that that was going to be John's cousin. And this all works out just as God planned it. We read about the birth of Jesus. Caesar Augustus called a census, which actually sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, where she gives birth to Jesus. He's laid in a manger. And we also read about the many who visit Jesus' birth we read about angels who sing glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among men of whom he is pleased. The shepherds visit and they marvel, the magi visit and they bring gifts. And once again, all of this is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the savior of the world. We read about this story. It's a monumental moment of history. It's a miraculous moment that changed absolutely everything. It changed every person's life in this room, the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Advent. We celebrate him today. We celebrate him December. Uh, we celebrate him every day. It doesn't matter what month it is. This is just a very special time 
that we hold dear as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, it may seem odd to you, but I'm going to read to you the genealogy, and you cannot judge the fact that I'm not going to get all the names right, because even if you speak Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, I don't care who you are, you are not going to get all these names right. And I even try. I listen to the Bible app, and I try to get those names. I do diligence, ladies. I want you to know your pastor, actually, when he can't pronounce something, I try. I listen to the Bible app, and the guy that's got that slick and smooth voice, I listen to him. I want to call him Tom. I don't know that he's a Tom, but I think he's a Tom, my version of the Bible app. And he says everything exactly right, but I couldn't bring Tom with me today, so you're going to get me. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. That's a woman, by the way. You're going to notice something here. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram was the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. (laughs) We're from the northwest. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. It's another woman. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, and Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram, and Joram was the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah was the father of Jotham. (gasps) Jotham was the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, and at that time, probably said his brothers because he had 10 other names that couldn't be spelled. At the time of the deportation to Babylon, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, we're almost there. Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. I've not heard many sermons about these 17 verses, but you're going to get one tonight, as good as I can give it. The Bible has deep meaning in all that it says. It wastes no words. These words are not wasted. And there is a very important uh, point to all of these names for us to be able to read today. There are differences between the lineage found in Luke chapter 3 and the one that we just read. Scholars have various explanations for this, but I want to point out a few things, and namely the first is the women of the arrival. Now, I didn't plan to just talk to you because you're ladies about women in the Bible, but this is the scripture that came to me, and I found through it that there are five women that are named in this lineage, and none of them are in the one in the book of Luke. None of them are named. It's all men. So this is one of the biggest differences. We're calling these tonight the women of the arrival They are mentioned because they are part of the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ, naturally speaking. And it is not common in a patriarchal society to mention women in a lineage like we read today. And it's even more surprising that Matthew brings up the memories of those that are mentioned. There are many women that could have been mentioned in this lineage, but of the five, they each have a story. And I want to read to you a summary of the life of each of these five women. The first one we read about is Tamar. She's mentioned up at the beginning of the verses that I read, and she was given in marriage to a man named Ur, and he was the son of Judah, Genesis chapter 38. Her husband Ur died because of some unspecified wickedness. It actually doesn't say why, but it mentions that there was wickedness in him, and so he died. Then Judah instructed his other son, Onan, to marry Tamar, 
and father children for his brother. This was the Levitical law. This is what you did on behalf of your brother. It is not what we do today, ladies, but it is what happened back then. Onan married Tamar, but avoid, he avoided having children with her, and uh, God took his life as well. Damar, uh, Tamar then returned to her Canaanite home after Judah promised that she would marry his third son, Shelah, who was young. He was a boy, and he basically said to her, Shelah will grow up, and he will be your husband, but Shelah grew, grew up, and Judah did not keep his word to Tamar. Judah did not keep his word. And as a result of this, Tamar made a decision that she would seduce Judah one day by hiding her identity and pretending that she was a prostitute at the city gate so that when Judah came by and he was probably drinking some kind of drink that made him feel a certain way, he thought she was a prostitute. And this obviously shows us he was in some ways an immoral man and he took her and they slept together And she became pregnant by Judah, the father of her previous two husbands. And she had twins, those twins Perez and Zerah. And that is how she is in the lineage of David the king and ultimately Jesus the king. The former, um, and this is her story. There's also Rahab. Rahab is mentioned here. She was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. In the book of Joshua, you know probably the story. There are two spies that are sent to observe the city prior to the conquest. This is Joshua chapter 2. Rahab was in that city, a prostitute in that city. She was terrified. They had heard about the Israelites. She was scared. And so her her approach was, I'm going to talk to these two spies. I'm going to take them into my home, and I'm going to make an agreement with them because I don't want to die, and I don't want my family to die. She was clearly a very shrewd woman. And she knew what she ought to do, even though the others of the city were not going to do that. So she guaranteed the two spies' safety in her home while many were trying to find the spies in order to take their life. And she concealed them from the agents of the king of Jericho and helped them to escape through her window in the city wall. And at the fall of Jericho, Joshua spared Rahab and all of her relatives. And according to this genealogy, Rahab later became the wife of Salmon, And the mother of Boaz, and we know who Boaz was, who becomes the husband of Ruth. The author of of Hebrews cites Rahab as an example of faith. The author of Hebrews. James refers to her as the demonstration of faith by good works in James chapter 2 and verse 25. Jewish tradition has also held Rahab in high honor. One tradition making her the wife of Joshua himself. There are some that say that. We read also about Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Moabites were enemies of Israel, and she married an Israelite. And we read about her in the book of Ruth that her husband and her father-in-law died, and this released her to go back to her people, to the Moabites. And Ruth made a decision, a decision that is noble, a decision that is honorable, and a decision that not many would make. She told Naomi, her mother-in-law, that she would serve her for the rest of her life. And Naomi tried to push her away and say, do not do this. Go back to your people. Go back to your God. She said, your God will be my God, and I will serve you. And so her and Naomi, um, she's not willing to leave Naomi by herself. They travel to Bethlehem. Anybody ring, get a ring here? Bethlehem. And together where Ruth wins the love of a man named Boaz who honors her because of her kindness that she's shown towards Naomi. He specifically states the favor that he gives to Ruth is because of the decision that she has made and the way that she held Naomi in high honor. This was honorable. To speak of Ruth in any other way would be wrong. She was honorable. She has two of her own sons with Boaz, Nathan and Solomon, which were both ancestors of Jesus Christ. Ruth, an honorable woman, makes a decision and finds herself in the lineage of the Lord Jesus. And let's not forget Bathsheba, Bathsheba, she originally was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, a soldier in King David's army. And during Uriah's absence in the wars, David used his royal authority to commit adultery with her in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Bathsheba became pregnant, and Uriah was then treacherously uh, killed through the order of David himself. After a period of mourning, David married her, but the Lord was displeased and their child died. Soon after this uh, time, David and Bathsheba had four sons, and one of those was Solomon. Bathsheba was used to save David's life on more than one occasion, if you read the story of David. 
And she attended to David till the day that he died. You imagine. Two of her sons, Nathan and Solomon, were both ancestors of Jesus Christ and mentioned. We're talking about the arrival tonight. The birth of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus. Sometimes we think just about the moment of the arrival. But it's amazing to me the context for which Jesus came. I find that to be very significant. And let's also not forget Mary. She was a teenage girl who somehow found favor with God. It does not say. An angel says, you have found favor with God. We do not know why. She became the natural mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not only told, but we are shown that Mary is a woman of deep faith. She responds to the angel, knowing the shame and the reproach that it's going to bring upon her life. And she says, be it unto me according to your word. Many in the scriptures do not say that to an angel, nor do they say that to the Lord. And it's important for us to remember that when we think of Mary in her teenage years. So not only do we see her as a young one, but the Bible gives us pictures of Mary throughout her life. We see Mary... um, As Jesus is growing up, as she's getting older, we see Mary at the wedding of Cana. She's still maintaining the same type of integrity, certainly expecting Jesus to manifest his power. She knows he's special, obviously, more than anybody. That funny song, Mary, did you know? She knew. (laughs) It's everybody else around her did not know, but Mary knew. They should change that song a little bit. I know you love that song, Pastor Ben, don't mess with that song. But every time I sing Mary, did you know, in my mind, I'm Mary, you did know (laughs) that your baby boy, something was about him. Sorry, I just ruined that song for you. You'll never hear it the same. (laughs) Some of you are, you just, you'll shut me out. You got your tradition. It's fine. It's fine. You go ahead. We see Mary and she's uh, also with Jesus when Jesus is dying on the cross and Jesus entrusts Mary into the the life of his companion, John, at the time, and says, this is your mother, this is your son. We also see Mary in the upper room or around this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We notice her there. Faithful is this woman from beginning to the end, from her teenage years all the way to the end. And church history even honors her. And while we do not worship her, we do honor her. And it is important for us to give honor to those whom honor is due. And she had a very special place to serve in a way that nobody else has ever or will ever serve. It's very honorable. These are the women of the arrival. But I want to talk to you tonight by using their story, just a few points. I don't want to go long. I don't have a lot to say. Well, you never know that with me. That's actually not true. But it's an honor to talk to you, and I I didn't want to bring to you some message that's simply about women because you're women. But I think it is important that especially male leaders do honor women. And I think it's important that male leaders honor women in the scriptures where sometimes these stories are hidden, and yet they are right there, aren't they? And so we read about the women of the arrival, but I want to call them women of revival, because the arrival, bring, the arrival brings revival, an awakening of God. It wasn't just a moment. It was a moment that changed history. And we see this. And I want to just draw a couple points from the lives of these women and how it shows these particular ones and all that that might mean for those that would read this genealogy and what they might think about the women that are mentioned, some of it good and some of it not so good. And so I just have three simple points based on what we've already read, and somehow I'm going to pull this out and probably bend the Bible a little bit. I don't think so, but just saying it. The first point is our past is not our future. Our past is not our future. Our purpose is not limited to our past, our present, our faults, our trials, our fears, or anything else. And I want to remind you tonight Based on what we see, the fact that these women are in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ and carry a purpose that very few will ever carry, and they're mentioned in the eternal word of God, and some of them have these tattered pasts that are very clear, and they're actually written in the Bible, we know by reading their story and the fact that they're mentioned and they're honored that our start does not determine our finish. The only way that it does is if we allow it to. 
All of us can be a part of what God is doing, even when we don't realize it. It's not your start. Come on, somebody. It's your heart. One time, um, if you know our story, Bridget and I, she's a hero of mine because uh, technically she did not need me, all right? Just like Megan talked about tonight, God did not need us, but he wanted us, so I thank you that you wanted me. (laughs) But she was already being a mom, and she was being a dad, and she was doing a good job. She was working a couple of jobs, and she put herself through school, and she did whatever she had to do to put herself through school and buy her own car and buy her own place and get her own good job at Children's Hospital and Evergreen Medical Group, and and she did that. She didn't have any help. She certainly didn't have my help. She was already doing everything that she was supposed to do. She came to Christ. She put her boys in Christian school. She was faithful to church. She was serving. She was doing everything that she could do, and she was the busiest person on the planet. And along comes this guy, and we get married, and she has a 9 and 11-year-old at this point. And when we get married, I've, I've told the story here at the church before that I adopted her boys, and that was a great blessing, but I was 24, and her boys were 9 and 11. She was 27, older and wiser, older and wiser. She just turned 44. She's three years older. She would say that she's wiser. I would say that we're equal because I just needed an older woman in order to just be where I'm at, you know, because I was always ahead. You're laughing because you don't believe any of what I just said. It's really funny, isn't it? It's awesome. Thank you. So we got married, and I adopted the boys, and um, her boys have two different fathers, and we've walked that road, and time doesn't permit me to share some of that, and, and uh, we got to do that part of it together. We got to navigate those years, and now our oldest son is turning 28, and then our second son, Avante, he is turning, he already turned 26. His birthday is the day before mine. And we have great relationship with them. We just got to have a vacation and all of us were together except for our, our daughter-in-law who wasn't able to attend because she's getting her uh, psychology counseling degree and so she, uh, master's and so she couldn't come. But it's just amazing to see how, what God has done. And uh, through this time, though, um, I have fielded a number of conversations, as has Bridget, because their fathers abandoned them when they were very young, and abandonment has uh, a very powerful effect on our lives, doesn't it? Some of you have experienced that. It does not mean that God is not present. It does not mean that grandparents do not matter or the single parents do not matter. If you're a single parent, you know, listen, all power to you. God, God is using you. Amen. And Bridget's evidence of that. And uh, God redeems our situations. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just saying there were moments where I got to have this sacred space with these boys. And one moment I remember specifically that relates to this point. And that was our oldest son, Isaiah. He went through a period of time based based out of the feeling of abandonment. He was walking out this idea that um, Bridget was a, a single young woman. She was 16 when she, she had Isaiah, and, and later as in his like high school years, he's kind of going through that phase that we go through when we're kids. Am I wanted? Was I planned? This wasn't ideal, right? Because we have this sort of ideal, like, and somehow everybody, there's other people out there that do that ideal, right? They get married. Everything's perfect. They were totally pure before they got married, and uh, right? Amen. They were totally pure before they got married. They never cussed. They never said anything bad. They never did anything sexual nothing ever happened, right? That's none of your, I mean, that's all of our stories, isn't it? And so, and the, so the ideal, and then they plan the child, and the child comes in the exact month, right? It's not going to be in the dead of summer because that's too hot. It's going to be before that, like at the end of spring, and you're going to plan it because, you know, birthday parties are really important, so you get them in the right, you got to have the kid at the right time because you're thinking about that. Nobody's thinking about this, ladies. You don't think about this stuff. And, um, and so you want all that to work out. And so this is the ideal thing. And then, of course, you want a second one, or maybe you don't, or a third. And, you, of course, you're going to plan. It's a, little, it's a little girl seed, and it's a little boy seed, you know, and they sprout up. And it's exactly as you think it is. And it's an ideal thing. And they're Christian, and they attend church, and they have enough money to make it and go on a vacation every year. And it's ideal. And, and the dad's like, hey. And the mom's just like, you know, it's great. Did I paint a really that? Okay, so you're laughing. 
I didn't say that to my son, but, but I'm saying when you come from a situation that doesn't seem ideal, you've got this thinking that maybe you're not that valuable, maybe I wasn't wanted, maybe I wasn't planned, maybe I'm not supposed to be here, and my son, our son, was going through that moment in his life, and when I was sitting with him, and I was just a young father, and I was a young minister, and I had no idea how to give counsel to that type of situation, the Holy Spirit just made some scriptures alive in my heart, and one of them was about Moses, and I shared that with Isaiah right in that moment, just as the Holy Spirit gave it to me. And I told him, I said, son, God is the giver of life. And no matter how we got here, it doesn't matter. What matters is where we go from here. And I said, look at Moses's life. He's born under a death sentence. They put him in a basket. Think about this. You're like a two-year-old, under two. And you get put in a basket, sent down a river. And somebody just happens to pick you up. And it just happens to be someone in the palace. And he grows up in the palace, and then she finds the mother of Moses to begin with to nurse him. I mean, this is a crazy story. And he's raised in Pharaoh's home, not ideal. And he's always longing to be with his people because he's a Hebrew, and he knows it. And he ends up getting into trouble because he acts out on it. But God raised him in Pharaoh's house for a reason. And I told my son, I looked him in the eyes and I said, God's raising you in my house for a reason. And just because you think things weren't ideal and it didn't work out for you the way that the ideal world works does not mean, come on, look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 through 17, that you will not be a part of something massive that God wants to do in the world. So what I'm saying to you tonight is our past is not our future unless we allow our mindset to tell us that. And we've seen our son flourish. We've seen him go on to be who God wants him to be. But the origin of our birth does not determine our worth. Our value is found in Christ. And these women could not know what would be true of their role in the coming of Jesus. But listen, this same thing can be true of us. We may not know what our role in life is going to be. We may not get the full glimpse of how God is going to use our life, but he calls us to look up and to see him and to believe him, knowing that there is value in our life for his glory. No matter where we come from, no matter what we're going through right now, as hard as it might be, no life is ideal. Every life has been touched by sin, every life. And yet this great and glorious God who showed up in a, as a baby in a manger changes everything if we allow him to. He'll change everything if we'll allow him to. Our past is not our future, the past of Tamar, she seduced Judah. The past of Rahab, she was a prostitute. The past of Ruth, she was a Moabite. The past of Bathsheba, she was a fling with the king. <laughs> the shame of the past can be unbearable and it can become our own cancel culture. We often allow ourselves to be hindered in living the new life because of the old life, right? Our old mindsets, patterns, sins, thoughts, our own cancel culture. People today talk about cancel culture and how everybody wants to cancel us. Let me bring you some news that's not so good. There's good news at the end of it, though. The bad news is, is that most of us have our own cancel culture going on in the inside of our head, Canceling us, canceling our life before we ever start, canceling what we're about to do, telling us we can't or we shouldn't or remember what lies back there. That cancel culture is a voice and sometimes the voice of our past can be a profound voice stopping us, hindering us from the new life that Jesus died for, Jesus came for, Jesus paid for, for you and for me to live a new life, to live a new life in him. He's our Savior, forgiving us from our sin, but he's our redeemer. He's setting things right. He makes all things new. He cleanses, he restores. Beyond forgiveness, he makes us new. He transforms our life. In order for us to live in the new life, we have to stop picking up dead things. I'm getting aggressive tonight, ladies. <laughs> You're letting me do it too, you know. It's like you can't, you wouldn't be say anything anyways. You're just not like that, but... We got to stop picking up dead things. We got to live in the new life. I was praying about tonight and I was walking. Uh, it's a vision. I don't visualize. That's witchcraft. 
but I pray and I see visions, right? The Bible says 234 references in the Bible to dreams and visions. We will dream dreams and see visions through the Holy Spirit. I was praying tonight or earlier and I had a vision and I was walking down a hall and there were many doors and these doors were representative of some of us in this room or some of us watching online. Tonight is a night to close some doors. Those doors were cracked open. They were allowed to stay open and those doors need to shut. The doors of our past needs to be shut we do not need to keep them open. We do not need to pick up dead things. The arrival of Jesus brings a revival from Jesus, no matter who we are, where we come from. Amen. Point number two, one decision can change everything. I find it interesting, personally, when I read this story, and I read it again, and I read it again, and I tried to get the names down, so I read it again, and I find it interesting, I find it powerful that these women that were mentioned some of them, a few of them, made a decision that literally changed everything and put them into the lineage of Jesus. You see it in a moment. You see it in a decision. It is why they are in the line of Christ is because they made a decision and that decision changed absolutely everything and they are honored in the eternal word of God. Rahab decided to honor the God of Israel and years later she gave birth to the natural line of Jesus. Ruth displayed character Great character and honor. She chose to give her life to her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi. And as a result of that, ends up in Bethlehem. And as a result of that, ends up with Boaz, who has favor on her because of the way she is. It was a decision that she made. It wasn't just she was a nice gal. It wasn't just that she was a pretty gal. It wasn't just that she was a better gal. It was that she decided to serve the God of Israel. It was that she decided to serve her widowed mother-in-law. She made a decision that changed the course of her life. And as a result of that, down the line, God said, I can use you. None of them all knew how this was gonna play out, but God knew how all this was gonna play out. Mary, the mother of Jesus, makes many decisions to honor the Lord, hold her tongue, endure slander. Think about the shame that Mary endured as a teenager, the feelings that she must have had. She simply obeyed the Lord. That was who she was. It was what she did. These women are not in this list because they sought to be on a list. They are not in this list because they thought, if I obey, then I get to play. You know, that is not what happened here. What happened here is they made a decision in a moment, and as a result of that, God used them in such a significant way. We may not realize that we're making decisions right now that are setting us up for our future. We Listen to me. We may not be realizing this. We may not realize you and I were making decisions today that are affecting our tomorrow. And 2020 has just blown up a lot of us. We've been angry. We've been frustrated. We've been hurt. We've been sad, all of that, online, on site, all kinds of stuff. I've heard lots of stories. Every now and again, I get one of the arrows at me, and I ain't done nothing to anybody. I'll buy you a coffee and donut. You'll like me, trust me. But I get it. That's how hard it is, and sometimes, sometimes what happens, when you go through difficulty, you end up mistreating the people that you love the most. Sometimes that's why we church folk do that to each other. People always wonder why. It's like, why are people at the church not treating me the way they should? It's because they broken too. And sometimes when you see people more often and you have higher expectations for them, you feel like this is that safe place. And, and what you don't say, what I don't say, is this is, should be that perfect place. And we're not saying it like that, right? No, no, no. This is that place where we definitely have to practice that forgiveness thing. This is that place where we definitely have to practice that grace thing. This is that place where we get to reconcile because both of us agree with that, that teaching that Jesus gave. But 2020's been hard, and, and, and I don't know how long I'll talk about it. I mean, shoot, in three weeks, I'll be saying 2021 is hard. <laughs> but I think what it does is it's, it's affected us. It's given some of us like a PTSD almost, the places that we used to go, the things that we used to do. But I, I want to tell you, no matter what season we're in, we're still making decisions today that are going to affect tomorrow. We're not getting a pass on that. You know, just, it's not like, oh, sorry, it was too hard for you. Listen to me. Listen to me. It is hard for you. 
No, no minimizing. Pastor Ben, no minimizing on you. I'm saying it's hard, but it still is a fact that we can make some decisions that can change the course of history. We may not do it in the best way possible. We may not do it perfectly. In fact, I'd like to say I'm sorry if I've done anything to offend you over this last year. I just need a big megaphone to go out to the world. I'm sorry. I don't even know what I've done, you know? But I'll tell you what, we're making some decisions right now that are gonna affect some powerful things tomorrow. Not just negative, friends, not just negative stuff. Positive things that God is gonna use our life to do. You know, right now, 2020, I don't know what the devil's doing. I just wanna know what God's doing. You know what I'm saying? I, I tell you what, I, I, um, I'm not gonna take it too long tonight. Just, just, I got five more minutes, is that cool? Now my five is more like a nine and a half, but you, you understand. It's like flubbing on my, on my waist size, you know? <laughs> it's like a 33 and a half, right? No. <laughs> now, these pants, they must, they must have made these slim. That's what they did, you know? It's like these 34 and a half. I don't know what that is, okay? Somebody's not sizing right. Um, when I was a young man, I did some things that I'm not proud of, okay? And there are people in life that know what those things are. And uh, so... During the season of my life, before I came to Jesus, uh, I was at the wrong place, doing the wrong thing with the wrong people, and we got caught. And so Mr. Police Officer um, picked us up, and uh, we head on down to the station. Uh, he just wanted to give us a ride. <laughs> I don't know why he put me in the back. So there we go, and clink, you know, and me and this other guy, he got more in trouble, obviously, than I did, because I, and I just happened to be with him, but we were kind of all doing the same thing. I don't want to go into that, but I end up in this jail cell, and they let me out. He gets the charges. I don't, because it was really his crime, but I'm, this is the kind of crew that I'm running with, and it was real. I mean, I was really scared. I was just a kid. I was like 17. I was really scared, and um, they let me out. They dropped me off like a mile and a half from my street uh, at 2.30 in the morning. I was like, thanks. <laughs> but I let this guy know exactly what I thought. And let me just tell you, I'm not happy about what I said to this man. I said a lot of things that I shouldn't say, all of that. Anyways, um, fast forward, a year and a half later, I give my life to Jesus. Radically changed. I mean, everything about me. That was 22 years ago, and I'll tell you, I ain't never gone back to any of that stuff. Not even close. You know, I hate the clothes that are stained with the person that I once was. You understand, like, it's amazing that God can change and transform people's lives. And I've had a long road since. But when I was about 19 and a half, I was, I was a Christian for just a little period of time, almost 20, whatever. And um, I was at a gas station, a Chevron, and the police officer pulls up. And uh, I see him, and I'm like, I need to do something right now. And I make a decision. I, you know, I'm fighting with it. I, I don't think I should. It's kind of awkward to go up, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm really sorry. I didn't treat you very well. You know. I just walked up to him. I said, hey, sir. Uh, and he said, hey, Ben. <laughs> He's just like, do who I was. It's great. <laughs> so seriously, real life. He, and I said, hey, um, I just wanted to tell you a couple years ago when I was with these guys and we were running the streets and and things I said to you and how we gave you a hard time and probably, you know, just contributed to the hard part of your job. I just want to tell you that I'm really sorry and I gave my life to Jesus a little bit ago and I've changed my life and he's changed my life and I'm just really thankful for you. I'm thankful that you serve our community. I'm thankful that you tried to straighten me out. I'm thankful that you took me for a ride back in the day and I'm just sorry what I said to you and all that, but man, I'm on the straight and narrow. I just want you to know. I just want you to know not everybody keeps down, going down that road and but Jesus turned me around, and he just looks at me and goes, okay, well, I'm, I'm really happy for you, man. Thanks for telling me. And that was it. It was just like, happy officer. And I was hoping he was going to get saved and all that, you know, the courage that it took to come talk to Ossifer, and, and it didn't happen. And uh, so I get in my car. I go away. A couple year, years later, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, it could have been five. I, I'm, honestly, I can't even remember. But legitimately, we used to, this was after we were married. It was like five years later or whatever. We're working out six years later, working out at the YMCA. Remember the YMCA in North Shore? Not North Shore, but uh, Mill Creek. So I'm working out at the Mill Creek YMCA. I'm on the elliptical doing the thing, trying to watch uh, The Greatest Loser or whatever at the time, <laughs> you know, to get inspired. <laughs> I can do it too. Um, 
And so I'm watching this show, and guess who pulls up next to me on the elliptical? Yeah, home dude, right? From Botha Police. It was great. So he pulls right up next to me, and he's super, he looks the same. He just didn't age a day. He goes, hey, Ben, how you doing? And so we're, you know, I turn off the greatest loser, and now, and so we're in a conversation, and he's talking to me. Hey, I remember what you said to me that one day and all that. That's really great. How you doing? I told him how I was doing. How are you doing? It was really, really great. And I started seeing the guy every now and again. And I remember one day after we were talking on the elliptical, he liked the elliptical too, one day he opened up to me and he started talking to me about a terrible divorce that he went through. And here I am, I've been a youth pastor at this point and now I'm still a licensed pastor in the Foursquare and all of that and so I'm just, I'm just ministering to this guy. I just want you to hear this. It's kind of surreal. I'm on an elliptical machine at the YMCA and I'm I'm giving this guy advice about healing and redemption and how Jesus can do this in our lives. And it all came from a moment, a decision that I made to walk up to him and tell him that my life had changed. And my point is this. My point is that one decision today can set you up for something that you cannot see tomorrow. That is what we see in the lineage of Jesus with these five women That is what I've seen in my life. That's what you've seen in your life. And that's what we need to be encouraged with tonight as we go into a new year that we've got to remember God's putting decisions that might seem small and insignificant in front of our life. And if we choose Jesus, he is going to use our life. And we may not feel amazing about it. We may not feel like I'm really spiritual today. But the fact that we will make the decision means that God will use our life. And that's something worth living for. That's exciting that this thing matters more than just how I feel. I can do something for the glory of God, and these decisions matter. Decisions of forgiveness, of reconciliation, calls that we make, cards that we give, emails that we send, prayers that we pray, they all make a difference. All of them do, even if we don't know it. Even if our kids know it and we're gone, we're going to see something as a result of that. It's faith. The third thing I want to share with you tonight, um, Stephanie, if you could come and make me sound a little better. Third thing I want to say to you tonight is our story will bring God glory. As we move beyond our past, we make decisions to honor God, we see revival. And I'm talking about an awakening of the Lord. Arrival of Christ was meant to bring revival in you and in me. And I I want to read with you a passage, and this is just an add-on because I have no... Um, uh, I have no idea what time I'm supposed to stop, so I'm just going to keep adding things on. <laughs> He's got to learn with me. Just give me a time. This is not Friday, Saturday night, Shelly. Listen, listen, listen to this. Listen to this. This is, this is amazing passage of Scripture. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, beauty, Instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, instead of mourning, we're talking about dancing right now, ladies, the mantle of praise, instead of a spirit of fainting, instead of depression. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, that Jesus Christ may be glorified in the earth, in his coming and his coming again. The arrival brings a revival and God wants to stir our hearts. He wants to encourage us. He wants to raise the watermark of our life as we move into this next week. He wants to remind us that our life matters, that our decisions matter, and that he is using us whether we know it or not. He's inviting us again and again and again to the next step of our life. The pressure is totally off when you follow Jesus because you know his word is true and you know his spirit is powerful and you know God is gonna come through. And if we don't get anything out of it, what we're trying to do is give him glory out of it, not just get something for ourselves. 
We stop looking at what we get out of things and we start giving it all to him. And that brings the smile on our face. That makes the hope rise in our hearts. That makes faith alive inside of each one of us. It's what we need to remember. And I'm not interested in some other version of the gospel that is not trying to bring our great God the most glory through our lives. So whether by life or by death, whether by well-known or not known well at all, whether everybody sees all of my great exploits or only heaven knows, the reality of my life is whether or not I am faithful to this great God. And I know many of you, all of you, you've been faithful to the Lord. I'm saying to you, be faithful to God. Keep being faithful to God. We don't know what, where our name is gonna be. But we know that we get to make decisions to put our name in front of him. That's all we're doing. God, use my name, Ben Dixon. Use my wife's name, Bridget Dixon. Put it into the lineage. Put it into the line. Put it into the place, the column where you want it to be. That's all I care about. Just do that. Here's my name. My name represents my life. My name represents everything you've given to me. I put my name into your hands and I just ask that you would use it. I pray that you would speak to me. Just don't stop. That's it. Our story will bring God glory. Are you with me tonight? I'm gonna pray for you. Thank you for letting me share with you tonight. It's an honor. I thought, man, what qualifies me to speak to the women of our church? I was like, my mom's a woman. I'm married to a woman. Or raising a young woman. Actually, Bridget's doing a good job raising a young woman. I'm, I'm out of my depth. <laughs> I just, I love you. I pray for you every day, and I care about you deeply. I care about your life. And I thank God for you. Prayed for you today. And I want to pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will help you. If you need to shut a door, I would never embarrass you. We're not gonna be that type of church. Come up here and tell everybody all your problems. Forget that. I want you to find great godly friends and grow and go with Jesus as you live out transformation and life with him as we do that together as Northwest Church. Let me just say to you, Holy Spirit will help you shut some doors tonight. He can and will help you shut some doors tonight. We're walking down that hall and there might be some things that he wants to help us shut. And it could be that he wants us to open a door even now as well. Maybe we need to open a door to that relationship that needs healing. Maybe there's something holding us back, but I'll tell you this, we can't keep picking up those dead things if we want to live in new life. Amen. Let me pray for you tonight. And if you if that's you, if you need to shut the door, I just I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will minister to you right where you are. You can respond to him. As you're, as you're seating there or as you're at home, we have a lot of our church online right now. We have at least 40 to 50 registered. Many are watching right now. We, we know you're with us, and so I'm just gonna pray over you first, that those of you that are online, and just put your hands out to the Lord if it is you and you know there's something that he's touching in your heart. Just, just as an act of faith, just put your hands out to the Lord. It's to receive from him. It's to be open to him. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for every lady that's watching right now, every precious woman of God that is saying, I'm placing my name before the Lord, and I pray that you, Lord, right now would accompany them with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray for your delivering work. I pray that if a door needs to be opened, open it. And if a door needs to be closed, we pray that, Lord, you would help her shut it with the power of heaven behind her. And that the assignment of the enemy would be thwarted. It would be defeated. It would crumble in the name of Jesus. And we take authority over every assignment and every voice of every wicked and foul spirit. And we command that voice to be silenced in the name of Jesus. We pray that those wicked attempts to bring an internal cancel culture. Lord, we pray that those would be exposed right now. They are not for us and they will never be. And so, Lord, we choose to listen to your word tonight. I pray, God, in that area and that issue and that thing, 
where there hasn't been deliverance, where there hasn't been, or it's cropped back up during this season. The thing that we once had a handle on has just come back around and just slapped us in 2020 or in this last month or two maybe. And somebody, it's just this last couple weeks, you feel like this thing is cropped back up. It's not just a sin. It's something that came and you dealt with it. You forgave it. You, you moved beyond it, but it just came back even recently. So Lord, I pray with the the force of heaven, the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would cause that door to be shut, locked, to be never opened again. You do cleanse us from unrighteousness, and that means the unrighteousness of others, things being done against us. Just like Bathsheba was a woman that was taken advantage of, and the shame that came on her life, and yet we see a faithful woman to the end of her life. Even to the one that did it to her, Lord, we don't even understand that. You are able to make us healing agents, even to those that have wounded us. You can do that. So I pray, God, right now, and I pray for every lady here tonight. We ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would bring a delivering work in this room right now, and also an empowering work. I pray for fresh encouragement, rivers of encouragement would be released to rise up and to be everything that you've called us to be. Yes, there are voices trying to tell us not to be or maybe not affirming our call or encouraging us in you, but Lord, we know your voice is enough. Your encouragement is enough. Your word is powerful enough, and so we lay hold of what you're saying to us. And I pray, God, that you would accompany every woman of God in this room right now. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. We pray for the wind of the Spirit to come. Minister to us, Lord. Just, I'm just going to take a moment. I want, I want to ask the Lord to show us what we are thankful for. He's going to speak to your heart and your Whatever rises up, that thing that comes to your mind and your heart, I'm, I'm thankful that he's faithful to me. I'm thankful that he's been patient with me. Thankful that he has given me wisdom when I did not know what to do. So right now, just in a silent moment as we allow the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts, if that's, if something rises in your heart and you feel comfortable, just say it out loud. Let us all hear. I'm thankful for this. Just, just tell the Lord that. We hear joy tonight. Thankful for your joy. Endurance. Thank you, Lord, for prophetic words. Thank you, God. Speak to our hearts. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.